Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, going to be in verse 19. If you're wondering, I didn't say it earlier, uh, we will take an offering at the end of service. We'll have ushers at the doors with the plates. You can drop it in on your way out today. Um, We just decided we wouldn't pass a plate. That would be better for everybody. Ephesians 2.19. I know I told you that uh, we were going to finish the stand preposition series last week. But as I sat down Monday, I was ready to move on to the next series. And I've got a plan there. But um, God began to really open up and show me some things. Uh, A word that I missed and a preposition that I missed that I think is really important. Today we're going to add one more to the series. We're going to talk about standing with. Um, today, um, we're, we're going to talk about, um, and I, and I want to say something that I really believe will powerfully change how you live as a Christian. If you'll embrace it today, it's easier to stand with someone than without someone. And, you know, it's kind of funny that I told my wife in the middle of the week and nothing knew nothing of this. Uh, Catherine, correct me. It's not an epidemic anymore. Do you know that? It's a pandemic. For those of you that know the difference, I, I don't care. But uh, uh, she, she corrected me. She's right. Um, I knew nothing of the pandemic that our world was facing, and this is the new encouragement. I have a picture of it on the screen. Um, this I just copied from the website. This word didn't even exist before last week. The word social distancing right? And so I'm writing this message about coming together and being connected and fellowshipping, and the world is screaming, whatever you do, don't go to school, don't go to church, don't connect with people, you've got to stay apart from one another. And I love the idea of online services, I do. I love the idea of having sermons on the radio and television. I just think that any way and every way we can get out the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ought to do it. But I want you to see, there is a very big difference. Churches that are meeting online around our nation right now, which again, um, it's better than not meeting at all. I want you to follow me there. But I want you to see that it doesn't matter what kind of you know, chat room they set up, what kind of social dialogue they set up. There is a big difference in watching a sermon on a video screen from your home And coming together like we are this morning, sitting next to someone, hearing God's Word together, praying together, um, you know, going to Sunday school and doing Bible study together, um, there is a gigantic difference. And so I, I read an article just yesterday that said maybe we're moving in an age in the world where people just don't come together. You know, you can watch March, I know they canceled it, but you can watch a basketball game March Madness at home, right? You can watch a football game at home. Stadiums could literally be empty. I couldn't think of very many reasons other than maybe shopping, um, grocery shopping, that you absolutely have to leave your home for anymore. Right? And you could even argue the last two times we've gone shopping um, in Stephenville, we got online and placed an order at HEB pulled up in a parking lot, sent a text message inside, and some young lady came out, opened my car door, loaded my groceries in my car. I tried to tip her, and she wouldn't even take the money. Walked inside, and we drove back home. It was wonderful. (laughs) So if we eliminate grocery shopping, 
We can get our church at home. We can get our sermon at home. Let me say that right. We can, you know, rent movies without going to, to the rental store anymore. We can order from Amazon and get some things in other areas. Here, we are next day or two day, right? Some areas are same day. What reason do you ever have to leave your house? Go to work and come home, right? And then we have a society that a lot of people can even work from home. Um, it's just interesting the direction that we're moving. And so, you know, I, I don't know uh, if it's entirely healthy. I know it's not, in health, no, not healthy um, because we're living in a world that is distancing itself socially. And I want you to see this morning that that is not how God created us as people. And so I really think that the most dangerous part of this pandemic, I corrected it a second ago, Kat, you weren't in here, uh, pandemic, the most dangerous part of this pandemic is not the illness itself, but it's the fragmentation that it will do again to our society. And if the next one comes and the next one comes, um, I see that as one of the most dangerous repercussions of what is going on in our world today, because God did not create us to be socially distant. He didn't create us to quarantine ourselves. That's why we do Sunday morning church and Sunday night church and Wednesday night church. Um, that's why we have Sunday school classes. Um, we do all of that so that we can come together and connect. So I just want you to turn to your neighbor without touching them and say, it's so good to be with you today. Now don't spray it, say it. Some of you just got coronavirus, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's never good to be alone. It's always better to be with than without. Um, it's always, and I, and I want to drive that in to, to your mind today, it's always better to be with than to be without. And it's possible, though, even, to be in a room with a couple of hundred people and still feel totally and completely alone. Uh, I remember feeling this way in Ecuador. Um, we were there, uh, you know, about seven or eight days, uh, ten days, and uh, every night we would go in after dinner, and we had individual rooms, rooms by ourselves, and so everybody, uh, I was there with some older pastors, and they would all go to bed at six o'clock. I just can't do that, and so I'd go to the room, and I'd, my wife's at work or dealing with kids. She can't, she can't talk to me all evening. I turn on the television, and you don't understand a word of anything on the TV, um, you don't have enough internet to, to read or do a lot of that. Uh, I had two or three books. I literally taught and read all day long. The last thing I wanted to do was read a preaching manual, right? Um, there in this, so, so I would go down every night into this, this huge market, and um, they had all sorts of stuff for sale. And I remember being in the midst of this market. There are probably two or 3,000 people in this market, and everybody's selling and painting and making crafts and all that. Everything's for sale. And I... I, at that time, I didn't know anyone in the market that spoke English. And so there I am with thousands of people, literally and totally, completely alone. And, you know, sometimes we feel that way even in the world that we live in today. Even though we're around people, we feel isolated. Like this morning, when I just had you turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be with you, some of you turned to your right side and uh, said that, and some of you turned to your left side and said that, and there was somebody in the middle, Right? that was totally and completely alone. No one chose to turn to you 
and say, I'm glad to be with you today. Um, I really don't think that happened. I'm sorry if it did. But it's true in life, and you said, well, I'm, 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 I was chosen second by both people, right? Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, we're created for connection. We're created for connection, but we naturally drift toward isolation. Um, God created us to have a relationship with people, but we naturally drift away from one another. And so Ephesians 2.19, I want you to, um, if you're there in your Bible, want to read a verse. I'm going to read two scriptures this morning, but main text is going to be in Ephesians. I want you to see what it says here to the church. This is Paul writing. He says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure, the whole building being joined together, everybody say together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, everybody say together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul's talking to the Ephesians. He says this, listen, you're no longer on the outside. You're no longer strangers. You belong here. Uh, man, I think this is such a great message for a church to get out into the community. You belong here. We have people all over this town that would look at First Baptist Church, that would look at uh, St. Joe, that would look at the Methodist Church even, that would look um, you know, at the Assembly of God Church or Northside, and they would say, you know what? I just don't belong in that church. I just don't belong in any church. And, you know, I think it's a great message for us to get out into the world. No, no, no. You belong here. If you're here for the first time, doesn't matter the color of your skin, the magnitude of your sin, doesn't matter what your past looks like, you belong in God's family through Jesus Christ. Uh, and I want you to know the message to everyone that walks through our door should be very simple. Welcome home. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's house. Uh, he goes on to say, we are being built Together, I really think we should underline that word together. God is building us together. Now let me give you another verse, 1 Peter 2.4. I think I have it too. Uh, Jessica will throw it up there. You don't have to turn there this way. I just want you to look at this verse. I like this verse. These two verses fit so well together. It says this, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is a choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones. So what are we according to that verse? Living stones. We're living rocks, right? Watch this. You're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want you to see the, these two verses. Leave that one up if you would, Jessica. I'm going to read Ephesians 2 again, what it says. You are being, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together into the temple of God. Now this says you're living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So if we're going to build a house and we've got a big pile of rocks here, what do we do to build that house? We have to take the rocks and start doing what? Stacking them together. So we take rocks that are scattered all over the place. We're going to build a house, and we're going to take those rocks, and we're going to bring them, and we're going to put them far apart, right? I'm going to put one here and one over there. 
I'm just going to make a house that way, right? What do I have to do? How am I going to stack these rocks? Together. And if you ever stack bricks, if you're going to stack a brick here, you're going to stack a brick here. The next brick, are you going to perfectly align with this brick? What's going to happen if you do that? It's going to fall over. So what are you going to do? You're going to offset this one, interlock it, right? I just want you to picture this. We're living stones, and yet in order to, to have to, to God to build this house, he's going to place us together, right? So in order for this stone to really be, be strong, it's going to be touching not just one stone under it, but what? Two or three, right? And then this stone on top, we're going to interlock it where it's touching. So I just want you to see, even in the picture that God gives us as he's building his church, which is not a building, by the way, right? It's made of, his church is made of living stones, which are what? People, us. So you're the living stones, I'm the living stone. God is putting us together to make a place for his spirit to dwell. And in order to do that, he's going to place us together. We're touching one another. We're uniting each other together. We're close, right? Don't shake hands. Social dis. Do you see how that might be counterproductive to what God is doing in and through the church? Now, I'm not preaching. My wife's an infection preventer. I'll get in all sorts of trouble if I say, ignore what the CDC is saying. I'm just saying we're going to have to be extra intentional as a church to be the church. Because if we throw up our and say, hey, we're not going to meet together anymore, we're just going to throw it all. I'm going to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is going to begin to suffer in the world. The work of God is going to begin to slow down and stop. Because it's not biblical. Because God created us not for isolation, but for connection. He's building us, His family, into the household of God. This neat picture of these living stones. See, that's what I believe this attack that Satan's been doing socially, uh, it was long before coronavirus or COVID-19 existed. I believe he started it with something that we all know, um, I believe is a more dangerous pandemic. Social media. Because what Satan's convinced us of in the world is that social connection is equal to the like button on a Facebook page. Listen, I just want to be real with you for a second. Friends don't like friends. Friends love face-to-face, right? So when you're at the beach... And, you know, you're hanging out and you're there looking at the ocean and the temptation overwhelms you to take a picture of your hairy feet with the water behind you you and post it on your Facebook account so then that you can go back in five minutes and see how many people liked your hairy feet. And if they don't like your hairy feet, it kind of hurts. I'm telling you, you're hungry for social connection, but this is not social connection. It's false. It's a lie. It, it's trying to feed something in our heart, this emptiness that just this phone cannot ever do. The closest thing that phone can help you socially connect with someone is FaceTime. Right? And already you talk about FaceTime, people go, man, I don't want to look at people when I talk to them. I just want to know that they can hit like. Listen, now some of you, when I said friends don't like, you're going to go home and start hitting the little heart button instead of the like button. That's not what I mean. Some of you older people have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. 
You still call people on the phone. That's a good thing. If you text me most of the time, my, it drives me crazy. I'll get a text. But I'll say, how does she respond? And I'll say, I think you ought to call them. Call them? Just give me the phone. You dial, it rings, they answer, you say hello. How are you? You talk to them. You actually can hear the tone of their voice. You, can, you don't sound well. Are you okay? Uh, you, I, I'm, I'm going to come over. You, I think you need somebody. You don't get that over a text message. You surely don't get it over a like button, right? And so our social connection becomes this telephone or a computer screen. And so then we see, well, so-and-so had a get-together at their house, and they invited eight people, and I wasn't one of those people. And I'm alone. And I'm isolated. Because what we try to do is connect with people through something. This is not social connection. It's not. And I don't care what kind of church and how good a church does a chat room, it will never be social connection the right way. So that's why if churches get away from doing this right here, it's dangerous. That's not how God designed us. We, we are not created for isolation, but for connection. And here's the thing as Christ followers, man, you, you'll naturally drift that way. You actually will. Man, society will cause you to drift. I learned a new word this, this week. I was reading an article and it said, people have a great fear of, and it said F-O-M-O. I didn't even know what that means. And I'm always fearful of acronyms because sometimes uh, I'll see them and I'll say, man, what does that mean? My son will say, you don't want to know what that means. He, he's like, no, no, we don't say that. Or people, he said, Dad, no, you need to delete that. So don't ever say that in your sermon, Dad. Right? I don't know these things, so I have to ask my kids. But F-O-M-O, it means fear of missing out. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's a real psychological thing that's going on in the world today. People go online, they look at everybody else's lives and all the other social connections that everybody else has, and they're so afraid of missing it. Well, why didn't my kid get invited? Why didn't I get to go? Why did I miss out on that moment? Because normally you wouldn't even know that moment existed. But because of social media, we do. And so it adds to this social isolation. That's what's going on in our world today. So as Christians, I just want to warn you, you'll naturally drift toward isolation, even though you were created for connection. It's just a natural thing that happens in our lives. And so that means we have to fight that drift. We have to be intentional. So I'm going to give you three things today that help us to fight that drift uh, from Ephesians. Number one, we have to learn to stand with God. We're talking about standing with. So we learn to stand with God. We remember the faithfulness of God. Ephesians 2.20 is very clear. The cornerstone of this house, when you built a house, uh, and you were going to use stones, the first thing you would do, you would put a gigantic, heavy, long and gated stone at the corner of the house. That was the stone that all the other stones leaned on. That stone wasn't right. You couldn't build a house. We have something like that today if you have a fence on your property. Most of the time, you may use T-posts to build your fence. But most of the time, if you really know what you're doing when you build your fence... Your corner posts are not T-posts. What are they? They're pipe or they're wood. And usually, usually, you dig a hole, you plant that post, and what do you put in it? Concrete. If you don't and you 
just stick that thing down in the dirt and you say, oh, dirt, we'll just pack it in real good. And it's straight. You've leveled it. It looks good. And you start to put those T-posts down. Everything's fine until you start to string barbed wire to that post. And you're going to have to choose which way to start, right? Both at the exact same time. I want to start this way. I want to start this way. If you started both at the exact same time, you might be okay if you pulled one that way too. But you can't do that. So you're going to have to pick that way. When you pick that way, what's that fence supposed to do? Well, we'll pull it back the other way, right? You'll never catch up with that fence. It'll never be right. Until you cement that corner post. That's this picture. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That why, that's the reason why an organization is way different than a church. A parachurch organization is way different than a church. Uh, you know, a club is way different than a church because those things aren't built on Jesus Christ. But the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. Man, I love that picture. That's why what, what really makes us unique here. We're not united by our hobbies. That's what's so dangerous about a church. And I love, don't get me wrong, I love cowboy churches, but I had somebody come years ago and said, well, we want, uh, we're looking for a cowboy church. And I said, we're a cowboy church. They said, where's your um, rodeo pen? Oh, well, the rodeo pen's out. It. We got one of those in town. It's not at the church. Well, well, you're not a cowboy church then. Oh, yeah, I got cowboys in the church. I'll put a cowboy hat on if you want me to. Yeah, boots, look. I didn't have any boots when I moved to Texas. I'm boots now. I even got a cowboy shirt. Man, Matt and Delisa, they fix you up. Go to Stockman's and make you look like a cowboy. I remember first time I had to do a wedding. Little girl, she said, hey, uh, well, it was, it was Baba Lamb's uh, daughters. Baba, Baba may not be here today. Uh, Baba Lamb's daughter, she said, well, we want you to do the wedding, but can you, can you wear a Western shirt? I know a Western shirt. Tell my wife, we've got to find a Western shirt. She laughed at me. She said, you're going to look like a cowboy. <laughs> I still don't look like a cowboy, but I guess I need the belt buckle. That's what I need, right? I don't know. I can't go that far with it. I just can't. In fact, sometimes I go down there and Delisa and Catherine will pick out a shirt and I'm like, no, that's a little too cowboy. I can't do it. I just can't. Um, I, you know, I, we're not defined as a church by our hobbies. I mean, we could be like the fisherman church, right? If you love to fish, be all right with that, right? All fishermen could come here, right, Glenn? All two of us. <laughs> He'd say, no, you're not a fisherman. It's just me. I don't catch any fish, right? I don't know. I mean, but think about it. Aren't churches sometimes defined that way? Well, that's the white person church, or that's the Hispanic church, or that's the poor person church, or that's the rich person church. Man, it ought not be that way. It really ought to not be that way. It bothers me because a church should be built on who? That's it. So we're a Jesus church. Yeah, we're filled with cowboys, and yeah, we have all sorts of different ethnicities and all sorts of different nationalities, and um, yeah, we do all sorts of different hobbies. 
We have all sorts of different jobs. There's all sorts of socioeconomic classes in our church because we're all united, not by our hobbies, not by our class, not by the size of house we own or the, the number of cars or the kind of car we drive. We're united not by how we dress, by the way. It has nothing to do with how we dress. We have suit wearers. We have short wearers, right, Joe Cudney? It's okay, not today. Today? Yeah. That's okay. Because what unites us is not any of those things. What unites us is our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. So you can come and be a part by believing in Jesus Christ. And man, I just love that picture. We stand with God. Often as a pastor, I hear people say that. They'll come in for some gas or some food or some need out in the community and I'll invite them to church. And man, so often they'll say, well, I just don't belong there. And I just want to scream, yeah, you belong here. Yes, you do, because I was a sinner too. But I put my faith in Jesus and now I'm, I'm a believer and I'm a Christian and now I belong here. It doesn't matter. And they say, well, those people down there, they may not accept me. I don't care. I think they will. But even if they don't, guess what? This is God's church. It's not their house. Because that's something else people say. Well, that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. There's no such thing as a church that's not. Right? We're saved hypocrites, though. We don't do everything right all the time. We're not perfect stones. But the cornerstone is right. And I have full confidence that the church is, is going to overcome because the cornerstone will never be knocked down. And as long as we as living stones are built upon the cornerstone, uh, you know, and we're holding up Jesus Christ, I think we're okay. Now, the problem with that is it's really hard. Some, some of us, when we really think about being tied to that cornerstone, man, we go looking at our lives and we say, well, yeah, that's good and Jesus is my cornerstone, but you don't know, Pastor, what's happened in my life. You know, I've lost loved ones. I lost a husband. I lost a wife. And now I'm having to do life by myself or uh, my marriage is having problems or financially my life is just wrecked. I can't find a job uh, or I got a bad diagnosis or I'm sick. I don't know. We have all sorts of reasons that we look and say, hey, the cornerstone, I just, I just can't get there. I don't have the faith. Well, this is why, you know, we have this idea and, and I've, I've said it before and you've heard it. People say, well, God is really all you need. God is all you need. Good statement. How many say yes? Okay, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to push a little bit here. I recognized this when I did a marriage conference a few months ago. You know, God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Created Adam. Adam's down there, Adam and God. Everybody say Adam and God. So Adam was with who? And God looked at Adam who was with God because God is all we need, right? And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I thought God's all we need. It's not, I'm not being, listen, I know some of you are like, oh, he just lost it theologically. God isn't all we need. Do you hear that preacher? Listen, I didn't say it. God said it. He created us with a need. Yes, for him, but also for a need for who? Each other. He created us with a need to connect with other people. A spouse being one of those people, but a church being connected. So here's the deal. We're not good by ourselves. That's why we need these connections. That's why we need this relationship with others. So 
It's not good for us to be alone. That's why. So sometimes we go, well, my cornerstone, uh, you just don't know what's happened in my life and it's really difficult. Well, here's the number two point that I would have. Stand with God's people. Don't stand by yourself. You know, I noticed something during a pandemic like this. This is happening in my household. I imagine it's probably happening years too. We live a long ways from our family. And I maybe talk to my mom She'll listen to this sermon and she's going to argue and say, I wish I talked to you once a week, but um, so I'm going to exaggerate. I talk to my mom once a week, basically, mom. She's going to hold me to this. I have to be careful here. Catherine talks to her mom and sister at least once a week, almost every week, sometimes a little more than that, but once a week. This week, this week, my mom has texted every day. I've called her twice. I called my grandmother, who I haven't talked to since Thanksgiving. Why? We're concerned. There's something going on in the world. I want to make sure it's taken care of. There has not been a day, I don't think, that gone by that Catherine hasn't talked to her mom or her sister or both of them in one day. Sometimes multiple times. Why? Just interesting, because... When something's going on in our lives, we look for connections. And our first point of connection becomes our family. Right? You guys are experiencing this even in Delion with your local family. You're checking on your kids more. You're talking to your grandma more. You're, you're just more connected because when we have a crisis, man, there's just something where God put in us, we lean on each other. That's how God created the church. That's what's so powerful, you know, uh, about really what God did here. You know, I had a guy come in. It's been a few years ago. He came in. Well, no, it's been a long time. It was been seven or eight years ago. I was youth minister. I was last year being youth minister. Um, he came uh, to church one night, and he was really struggling with drugs. I'm not going to tell you all the story, but really struggling with drugs. And he said, Daniel, I want to I get off drugs. I want to change my life. And I said, okay, well, look. You need to get rid of them. Let's get them out of your life. So we went to his house. We emptied out all the, it's just drugs, just hard uh, marijuana mainly, but tons and tons of paraphernalia. We just emptied it all out into a Walmart bag. I mean, his whole house. Um, and I mean a big Walmart bag. And I called um, the police chief that time in DeLeon, and I said, listen, this is Daniel Harper. This is the case. I've got a student that's getting off drugs. And I'm going to be driving with a big bag of drug paraphernalia. And I'm coming to you. And I'll meet you, or you can, you know, I didn't want to give up this kid's, I didn't want to say, hey, this is, I, I wanted to keep this kid's trust. He wanted off drugs. I said, I'm going to help him. And so the police officer said, well, just meet me at the S-curve. I said, I'll be right there. Um, but if I get pulled over on the way, you have to help me. Um, so I pulled up the S-curve, and I rolled down my window, and I held out a big bag of drugs. First time that's ever happened. Second, no, I'm just... And I gave it to this police officer, and me and this young man came back up to the church, and we met. And he said, you know, I, I want to be done with this for good. And I said, well, let's do weekly counseling. Let's, let's start up, because you need some accountability. And I said, tell me about your friends. What kind of people do you have around you? He said, oh, I've got great people around me. Man, I've got some friends um, that, man, they're just awesome buds that help me through anything. I said, that, man, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take those kind of relationships, those kind of Christian relationships. He said, oh, they're not Christians. I said, oh, well, tell me a little bit about them. He said, well, that's where I get the drugs at. 
they're probably not going to be the guys that you're going to walk through. And he said, oh, no, 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 they can't be the guys because if they knew I threw all that stuff away, man, they'd beat me up. Probably not the guys that you need to help you with this problem. And, and at this point, I just want to say, you know, we need to stand with God's people. There's some, some of us in this room today that, man, we need to distance ourselves from others. There's some relationships in our lives um, that we, you know, we are feeding from or being influenced by. We have to be very careful because they're dragging you away from the cornerstone and not toward it. That doesn't mean our friends have to be perfect. We know those that drag us into gossip, that drag us in uh, to missing church, uh, drag us in, um, you know, away from the things that God wants, that are always talking bad about the church or talking bad about, um, you know, things that God's doing that are always trying to pull you away or make you bitter. You have to be careful. Some of us, we have to separate from those things. Man, that person's always creating strife in God's house. That person's always creating strife in my, my life. Um, There's some relationships we just have to pull away from, and that's what I told this gentleman. I said, you, you've got to get away from those relationships. And others, there's other relationships that, man, we really need to pull to. Uh, Proverbs says it this way, the words of the wise are like weapons of knowledge. If you need wise counsel, stay away from the fool. It means if you want good advice, you better stay away from the idiots in your life. Go reach and evangelize and, and, you know, yeah, share the gospel with those people. But, man, there aren't the people that you go to for counsel. You need the right people in your life. How do we find the right people? How do we find the right people in a world that says distance? In a world that says get on a chat room or send a text message? How do we find the right people? That's why church is so important. If people come and say, I'm looking for good relationships, there's two things that I always say to them right away. One, where are you serving God? Say, what is serving God? You mean you're just trying to get them to work? No, where are you serving God? One of the best ways as a church to find godly relationships is to serve God together. I love Sunday school, and I'm going to go to there in a second, but I'm going to tell you, if you want deep relationships, you bleed for God together. There's nothing more intimate as friends in a relationship to go on a mission trip together. And I don't mean a cush, comfortable mission trip. I mean, when you really bleed together, when you're having to alternate every two minutes who's on the toilet the third day of the mission trip, there's just something that happens to your relationship. It just does. Doesn't it, Mark Beatty? I've been there with that guy. In Honduras, you know, halfway, we open the van out. Mark's like, whoo like, I've never seen Mark that way. Hey, brother. You know, he's like laying in your lap asleep. Mark, you know, I'm like, this is weird. James Venable was to my left side. He's leaning this way, drooling down my arm. Mark's this way, just thrown up, laying on my leg. We're like, this is awesome. <laughs> right? You've been there. If you've been on a mission trip, that's just how it is. You serve together. You bleed together. You know, there's something about, you know, you, you go to New York and, man, you get on a subway and you're, you're looking at each other going, oh my goodness, what have we got ourselves into? And there's this guy naked over here. And this guy over here is like, and you're kind of like, come on guys, get together. Let's just get home. It is true. And you come home and you're like, Oh, we, we're, we know each other better than 
we ever did before we served God. Go out to our kitchen on a Wednesday night and just watch what happens with our ladies and our men out there serving. It's, it's amazing to watch. I love it. You go out there and you see them wiping tables and cooking food and feeding kids and clean up and man, a kid pukes all over the floor. Like, oh, get the, get the powder out. This is awesome. I'm like, oh. It's what we do. It's just what we do. It's fun. And you love it and you grow and then you're like, man, I can't wait till Wednesday night and get out there and wipe some nasty tables. Man, that's why... You know, like our jubilation ringers. I'll be honest, I'm not musical. I can't hear their notes either way. They'll say, oh, we really messed that up. I'm like, sounded great. I just don't. I don't hear notes. G, F, my wife will say, what key is it? I don't know. I have no clue. All I hear is ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sounds great. I love it. But I'll tell you why I love our bells. Because every week, those ladies meet and pray together and fellowship together. And there's some that say, you know what I do at First Baptist Church? I play the bells. If we didn't have the bells, they wouldn't have anything here. That's why I like the choir. Come be in the choir. Do a cantata. Man, fellowship. Connect with one another. Our WOM ladies get together on Wednesdays. Man, I love that because, man, they're just being together. There's just something about those relationships that connect us. So serve together. Second thing to do is do plug into a Sunday school class. You know, we're a smaller group today. I can be a little bit more intimate with you guys. I know every face in here. But there are some Sundays I don't. And I cannot connect with every stranger in this room. But if I can get them in a Sunday school class, you teachers and you people can in a group of 10. And you can say, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? You can find out. You can counsel them. You can know when they're not here and say, hey, Susie hasn't been here in six weeks. Um, I think we need to call and check. Or so-and-so had surgery, and so we're going to go make meals. You know that because you're connected in a Sunday school. So if you don't have anybody to stand with, you need to make sure you're in the right place. Um, last point, and we'll be done. Last point. We stand with God's people. Um, you know, you stand with God. You stand with God's people. And this last thing I, I want to kind of end with, once we're standing with God, once we're standing with God's people, then we look around us and we look for those in need and we stand with them. This is the, the, the purpose of the church. You know, sometimes we have to be like vacuum cleaners or like leeches. When we need help, we just have to suck the life out of other people. That's okay. That's all right to say, hey, friend, I need you. And it's a tough time. And I'm going to lean on you. And I'm going to lean on Jesus. But I need you. That's okay. But if you're standing with God and you're standing with other people and you're not going through something in your life, man, it may be time that you look around and go, who needs me? This is where we really miss it in the church. We, we start to think, well, the church is about standing with God and standing with my buddies. But we don't want people that are super needy here. Right? We have this go on sometimes in the youth department. And I'm not picking, but sometimes it happens. You know, we have like the church kids who are here all the time, and then we have like the not church kids. And we say it like that because that's who they are. They're the not church kids. And you know how not church kids act? Just like the church kids. 
It's true. But you parents don't know that. You don't know that your kid that goes to church is just as bad as a kid that doesn't go to church. And so you complain and you say, well, my kid comes down there and mixes with those bad kids, and he, now he's acting like that. No, 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 he acted like that long before he got here. You just didn't know it. I just told you today, you're like, oh, i got to talk to my kid. In fact, sometimes we're worried that the church kids are rubbing off on the not-church kids. True story. We're like, oh no. These kids are about to set the gospel. And if they see how our church kids act, we're in trouble. And I know that's not always the case. I've got three church kids. I know what I'm talking about. They don't always act like church kids. And yet, sometimes as a church, what we say is, well, can't we just do things for church kids? Can't we just minister to like our kids that we think act good? And I'm telling you that churches exist to help people in need, in need of Christ first, in need of food or, or wisdom or uh, just love. And so we look around for those. And so I always tell the church kids, even my kids, as they grow up, they're going to complain, Dad, well, it's just a, such a wild and there's not as many church kids there. and They don't act as good. And so I'm going to start telling them over and over again, okay, it's time. It's time. You're, you're not there for you anymore. You're not there to receive anymore. You're there to give. So yeah, every Wednesday night, I know it stinks, you're going to go up there and your goal is not going to be to receive just a good lesson and a happy fun time and to play some basketball, but your goal is to go up there and find the most needed kid in there and to love on him in the name of Jesus Christ. Your goal is to go back here and not just go find a plate of food and set off by yourself with your cool little friends, uh, church kids, I'm talking to all you, but your goal is to go and you find that kid that has nobody or that kid that you know. You know what? They don't live like this at all at school. Why are they even here? Go and make a difference in their life. Because you've leaned on God and you've leaned on others and so now you have something to offer those that are in need around you. And adults, I'll tell you the same thing. Man, you're not always just a vacuum and elites taking, you know, sucking from God, sucking from others. Eventually, man, you go pour your life into someone else. See, that's what I love about the story of David and Goliath. David comes out. He's bringing his brothers some food. Here's the army of Israel lined up. Across from them is the Philistine army. And Goliath comes out and he's mocking God's people. This was not David's fight. David was the lunch carrier. But I want you to see that when he saw somebody mocking his people, their giant became his giant. Man, I love that picture. There's a time where somebody in need comes in our church, and I'll see and I'll think, you know what? I I don't have anything to do with your marriage. I don't have anything to do with your financial problem. Anything to do with your job. But because you're a brother or sister of Christ, your giant is now my giant, and I'm going to go fight him with you. That's a great picture. And I love that. And sometimes the difficult things in my life that I've walked through actually help me fight their giant for them. Did you hear that? Maybe you've been through a divorce and it wasn't easy. And you wonder why that happened. And yet you come out on the other side knowing that God is faithful, knowing that God loves you and seeing God's plan for your life. And and man, it was difficult and was challenging. But now from the other side, you know God's grace and you see somebody next to you going through the same thing. And God says, go, their giant is now your giant. Show them how to live. You've been there. 
Maybe you've had cancer and, and you survived that and you went through those treatments and you went through all that and now somebody else that you know is and you say, you know what, I've been there and your giant is now my giant. I'm going to the Lord on your behalf and I'm walking through this with you. Maybe you're older and you've had a kid that walked away from God, that made bad decisions. And maybe you're looking at someone else's life and rather than shake your head and say, they ought to do a better job. Maybe you ought to come alongside and say, you know what, I know how it is. Because my child walked away from God and my child's still walking away from God. And I'm going to tell you how to, how to deal with that. Your giant is now my giant. Because I'm going to look for need around me. And I'm going to stand with someone that has need. And I'm going to face your giant with you. It's like at the football game. Remember years ago, my boys were, we were watching corner of the football game, high school football game, boys are playing. Caleb's getting into it, uh, playing some football, and this kid comes up with a stick about that big. And it gets real. They're, they're about to go, and Caleb, man, he ain't backing down. He's like, you want it? Bring the stick, come on. Samuel sees the kid pick up the stick. Samuel's like, mess with my brother, you got me too. I think Max is right there in the middle of it. Samuel and this kid's got the stick. Samuel, and they weren't really fist fighting, but they were wrestling. They wrestled this guy to the ground. Caleb's on top of him. Samuel's on top of him. I remember Isaac. Isaac was barely in diet. I mean, he was like barely walking. He was still like the awkward toddler stage. He sees his brothers fighting. He runs over, jumps on the pile. I said, I yelled out that night. I said, you mess with one Harper, you get them all. That's what happened. You know, that's how the church should be. Man, you mess with one of us, Satan, you get all of us. And man, one of our giants, all of our giants, because we're a church connected together. We're living stones, and we're all leaning on the cornerstone, but we recognize we're not created for isolation. We're actually created for connection. So we're going to take the experience in our lives, and we're going to use them to help one another. And I love that picture. Maybe the pain in your life wasn't in vain, Maybe God just used it to prepare you to minister for, to someone else. Maybe He can take that pain and He can redeem it and He can use it for His glory and His purpose because He brings us together. He creates us for connection. He's building His church stone by stone. Not a physical building, a spiritual house with people as those living stones. That's why this week as I was praying about what's going on in the world, God just kept reminding me that we're not called as a church to hide from the world. We're not. We aren't called to isolate or distance ourselves. It's not time to just take care of our own. It's time to look around and ask, who needs us? Who needs us? What can God's people do to help? Listen, I don't think this is the greatest crisis that we're going to see in our lifetime in America. This is nothing, church. We're empty today, and this is nothing. You wait till the grocery store really is empty. You wait till there really is something killing us. And you remember then that we as a church, it is not our calling to rush out and get to the food before everybody else. It's not our calling to run down and buy 800 rolls of toilet paper. We ought to look around and say, how can we help? How can we put others first? 
I can tell you how the world's going to respond. You're getting a little bit of a picture of it right now, and this isn't even a crisis. But I'm going to tell you, when bread's the only thing left, and you're in a line to get it, you'll see what faith really means. I want us to be ready. And I want our eyes off of our own needs and want our eyes on the world around us. Sometimes the best way to find peace is stop looking at your own circumstances. To get off of CNN and Fox News. To quit listening to all they're saying about a pandemic and start looking around and saying, who around me needs Jesus? Who needs food? Who needs water? Who needs help? We're created for connection. We stand in connection with God. We stand with connection to God's people. And as we stand with God and with one another, we're able to stand with those in need around us. Now, Jesus, I just want you to consider what would he do during an epidemic? What would he do during an epidemic where that was severely contagious, deadly? Everyone was telling isolation, isolation, isolation. I can tell you what Jesus did. It's not hypothetical. Jesus went out and touched lepers. That's what he did. Everybody else said, isolate. I've got leprosy. Stay away. I see the day coming. COVID-19, clear the way. It already works when you're going shopping at Walmart. (laughs) Jesus went out into the masses. And he loved them. And he touched them. And he healed them. And he provided food for them. And he pointed to the living water again and again and again. And when Jesus saw the epidemic of sin in our own lives, he didn't run away. He didn't isolate. He came from the safest place ever to exist. From the most powerful throne on heaven. And he was born into a dirty manger. Yeah, he put himself at risk. Yeah, he put himself at risk. You better believe he did. Some of you are kicking back there a little bit. Well, that's dangerous. Yeah, it was. So deadly to him. He came knowing that the very people he was going to save would put him on a cross. I'm not telling you to be stupid, but I'm telling you to be like Jesus. Man, open our eyes to a world around us that's in need. Let's get our eyes off of ourselves our own situation, our own jobs. I mean, I can whine and complain because my wife is about to leave Monday and I'm not going to see her till Friday, and I know that. And I'm going to have three kids at home. Feel bad for me, right? I'm hoping that we're delivering food all week. I don't think there'll be that many people in Dillion that need it, but man, I'll take my kids all over. We'll go grocery shopping. We'll deliver food to to those that need it all week. And I'd love to spend a week doing that. Man, and looking around and saying, what else do people need? Man, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm going to tell you, there's only one epidemic that's 100% fatal. And as Ryan said, that's sin. And Jesus came to cure it by dying on the cross for our sins. If you don't know him today, I'll be down front. Come put your faith in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. As we conclude this service, Lord, with an invitation, Father, I just want to invite those in this room that may not know you to come put their faith and trust in you. 
Father, help us as a church to keep our eyes off of ourselves, to lean on our cornerstone, to lean on one another, and to meet the needs of the world around us as you show us and direct us. Father, if there's one in here today that doesn't know you, I pray they come and put their faith in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.